0: thanks for tuning in to the abc music talk podcast the show for anyone interested in the music industry it's february 2022 and globally we are finally starting to see the light at the end of the covid-shaped tunnel despite any positive signs of decline in, in infections hospitalizations and deaths its effect will be with us for a long time to come my guest in this episode will tell us their story about coping with covid from the indie label perspective but first time for me to remind you all to go rota your videos rota is for artists managers labels or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization rota makes it fast easy and inexpensive to do all of that in one place head to www.abcmusic.co and click the rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service Welcome to the show, co-founder and managing director of Hospital Records, Chris Goss. Thanks very much. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good, yeah. Um, nice early start. Yeah. Uh, good to be down by the canal.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, no, it's, it's not raining in mm. London, which is always <laughs> yes. a bonus uh, at this time of year. Um, so I realise I've just sold uh, uh, Hospital a little short there, because uh, you're a bit more than just an indie label, as we'll, uh, as we'll learn. Um and I'd also like listeners. So this is a COVID thing. This, uh, we're going to be talking about all sorts of things that have changed in, in our collective lives. And what well, I just want to make a statement, which I, I thought about it as I as I wrote it. And I thought that is utterly mad. But uh, the, the reason why Chris and I are doing this, one, we've known each other for for a long time, but you were the first ad hoc in real life meeting that I had since the beginning of 2020 really (laughs) right just a reminder we're in 2022 now yeah right how mad is that i know yeah it's
1: bonkers isn't it
0: that isn't right on any level Mm. yeah and i i really really dislike that but uh but fortunate that we met because then you're here today
1: indeed
0: so um so i need a couple of things from you first of all an introduction to hospital records and the movement that you've created uh and then we'll ask you about you so start off with hospital please
1: okay um well, hospital is now um, into its twenty sixth year. Um, so we are we are an independent record label. We're a drum and bass label. We're also a publisher. We are uh, an event promoter. Um, we have a booking agency called Clinic Talent. Um, we're one hundred percent independently owned and operated based down in Herne Hill just south of Brixton in, our, in the premises that uh, we moved into in 2018 having previously been in Forest Hill um, staff team I think of 36 which does include some freelance staff but um, from top to bottom uh, we like to DIY everything so you know we cover all of the obvious label sides, such as you know a&R and delivering new music. Uh, we have our digital department, our promo department, our events department, finance and royalties, copyright, legal and business. Um, our web shop, a web shop and our C business, which is fairly key, uh, which has been sort of running online for the best part of 20 years. Um, and I th- yeah, I think that kind of covers... You know who we are it was labels started by myself and tony tony coleman we'd worked together since early 93 uh when i met him as a designer and we started working together on his uh, acid jazz label called tongue and groove back in the glory days of acid jazz um which they were because it was a, a global movement um which we uh, were a part of just for a couple of years and um but then Made a bit of a sea change, 95. Took about, um, you know, six months to work out what we were going to do next and what we were going to do next became hospital. Um, and, yeah, uh, so we are... Where, do, where does the name come from? Just just too many nights down the pub, uh, to be honest. Just <laughs> when we... Basically, we we decided that we wanted to do something Different. We wanted to do something together. Uh, I, I was basically a DJ with a decent record collection, and Tony convinced me to um, start making music with him. You know, he he's a you know songwriter, in instrumentalist, arranger. Um, you know, does everything. I do very little, but you know, back then, you know, 26, 27 years ago, you know, we just thought, well, why not? Let's try. Let's try and do something together musically and we were really at that point you know 95 being londoners um we were just really most excited by drum and bass music um you know jungle had probably emerged from the what 91 92 um and by 95 as you as you would know like you know there was that movement of drum and bass artists who were um who were then getting signed to major record label deals you know who were breaking out in that sort of initial wave of drum and bass, uh, principally, of course, people like like Goldie, like Adam F., um, Groove Rider, Dillinger. Um, and that that musical movement was just the most urgent, exciting thing happening, frankly. Uh, so we naively thought we'd try and make some ourselves. Um, and we didn't just make drum and bass. We also made house music, and we made some sort of downbeat music, made some breaks, and we were just... Just really, actually kind of having fun, even though uh, I was slightly alarmed at what my sort of like um, financial prospects were. <laughs> um, we were both holding down other jobs, you know, I was a graphic designer, I was, I was, you know, basically doing graphic design for good friends in Soho, like Mr. Bongo, the shop, and Soul Jazz Records, and just, and DJing, and just doing all sorts of odds and sods, and Tony was doing like music for corporate videos, and a bit of teaching, and, you know, yeah like so many of us did you know when you're trying to establish um something for yourselves uh you just do whatever it takes but uh we it it was a you know obviously it's a cliche but it was a special time it was chaotic um but very sort of innocent and adventurous and we we just made a load of music and then and then you know started to realize that perhaps perhaps this could be something So, of course, and we started to really think about, well, what's it going to be called? What's it going to look like? And, um, yeah, it was literally just, you know, as most people would do, uh, you know, you just um, after work go and sit in a pub and throw around some really rubbish ideas night after night. Um, I actually found the the, the sheet of paper the other day when we, well, a few years ago when we moved, uh, and there was this long list of different words and names, most of which were so tremendously awful, but in amongst them was hospital. (laughs) You know, and I just I just literally sort of put a cross by it. Um, and we, being sort of, our backgrounds, I guess, uh, Tony's a bit older than me, but we have a similar love of classic rock music, uh, of black music in all of its um, forms, but principally he and I sort of growing up listening to like funk and rare groove and soul, um, a lot of jazz. He's into a lot of classical, you know, we have this broad love of, music, but particularly, you know, we, we made a lot of connections around things like Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and fair amount, you know, he's really into prog. Now I can't say I'm really into prog, but you know, so things like some of that, you know, some of those eras of music from the 60s and 70s, which were big on concepts and themes and like, he and I both got that and I think one thing that we wanted to try and bring to what we were doing was a sense of humour but also some concepts and some themes and a bit of originality and a bit of uniqueness. And we categorically didn't want... I mean, we didn't sound like anyone else in drum and bass categorically, you know, and that's also why it was a bit of a hard slog in those first few years. But we wanted to, you know, we wanted to do something different. We wanted to do something that was true to ourselves. And hospitals seemed to resonate with us because as soon as we came up with it, you know... It was just like freestyling ideas, like, oh, we could do a compilation called Plastic Surgery. We could do, like, a thing called Outpatients. And it just came, and then, oh, what about the packaging? Well, you know, it was like, well, obviously, uh, the international signal for a hospital is just an H. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not exactly rocket science, and that doesn't make me Neville Brody, but... An H, an H on a sleeve, and let's just do an H on a white sleeve, and let's put stickers on them. But let's do stickers that are actually manufactured by that bloke in Middlesex who only prints um, stickers on a roll for his for the for the northwest um, chemists. That's so. That's where we got our stickers oh, that's made. Amazing. And then we bought we bought an Apple image writer, one of the single worst dot matrix printers of all time. <laughs> which was the only printer that could accommodate the stickers, which were on a roll, you know, when they've got the holes down both sides. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Because, you know, we're, we're, a bit, we're a bit stupid like that, and it would have been so much easier to have just got a 1,000 stickers printed <laughs> from a printer, but we wanted it to be authentic. And those stickers, which are, are printed fairly badly, because that's how they're printed, and, you know, and they're then slowly printed out one by one on this dot matrix printer... But it meant that those early releases that we did for the first couple of years um, had a real feel. They had a real kind of, uh, I don't know, there it, it seemed like there was some kind of story behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- th- those are the details that matter to us. They still matter to us, uh, particularly when we were trying to establish something brand new out of nowhere, try and infiltrate a scene that we really wanted to be part of that clearly people had no interest in us for a few years. Mm but we wanted to do it on our own terms and um thankfully that you know that that name and and the the sort of branding and the visuals and everything about it gradually started to sort of like you know um establish itself and thankfully now we're where we are today where you know I guess maybe sort of people take it for granted it's very recognizable mm-hmm. it translates really well you know locally and globally and um you know, I remember people at the time saying, like, God, why don't you feel are you a bit annoyed that you chose Hospital? It's a bit of a crap name, isn't it? I was like, mate, it's, it's just genius. You just don't know it yet. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, you know, uh, a rose by any name is still a rose. right? Hopefully, there you go. <laughs> That's very good. Thank you so much for for that. And and listeners, as you can tell, Chris is a, an incredibly articulate individual and quite a voice in the indie uh, in the indie label world. Uh, you sit on the board of Aim. Is that right? Uh, not anymore. I have done.
1: Um, I I did um, two um, sentences. <laughs> no, no, no uh, terms. No, I'm, I'm like um, I'm very proud to have done that. Yeah, uh, I I did I did a, a four or five year stint. Something like oh gosh, maybe like sort of 2010. And then a bit more recently, um uh I I went back on the board for a second time uh after Paul Pacifico had taken on the role of CEO and it was yeah. it was it was good to be part of that like that new sort of structure and for that sure. new team. I didn't I didn't see out the term I'm afraid because I I just sort of found the second time around um with where hospital was at, I just I I couldn't really commit. Um, so I felt, I felt a bit bad about that, but I'm very grateful to aim for, you know, for the support and for the opportunities. And the first time I sat on the board, the very first meeting I went to, and as I say, I mean, I think it was 2010 roughly. And I went to my first board meeting just thinking like, I mean, I've, I blagged my way through all sorts of things, you know, uh, and I found myself in this meeting room and I'm sat next to. Simon Raymond from the Cotter mm-hmm. Twins, yeah. and Ben Watt from Everything But the Girl. <laughs> now you know I'm 53. The, 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 these are two of my heroes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew up as a teenager listening to and buying their records. I went to see Everything But the Girl at Brixton Academy in 1984, and you know, and it's it was lovely. I just kind of had a moment, and I just kind of sat there. And I didn't really, I didn't say anything for ages, which is unlike me, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I start, and then I, I don't know. I sort of. I, th- I threw my opinion out into the ring after about an hour about some subject that was being discussed, and Ben Watcher said, yeah, I just agree with chris that
0: that's a moment isn't it That's a that' a <laughs> moment right there,
1: but so you know like that's that that's one of the beautiful things about the independent community over here, yeah. as you and I know mm-hmm. is that it is um it's a fascinating landscape of people um People who have been doing this for 40 years, people who have been doing it for 40 minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, artists, um, creative directors, writers, you name it. And just in this bizarre sort of pot of people that are just trying to create great stuff
0: absolutely yeah no I, and because Nadia Khan has been on the show mm. uh, so that just sort of demonstrates that sort of you know because she's by her own admittance sort of fairly new into the industry you know compared to some of the the, yeah. the folks that you just mentioned mm. and mm. and it is nice that, you, that we can accommodate both uh, and the
1: great thing about you know the great thing about aim and particularly their board is that is that the intention is to you know i think it's quite easy with those sorts of trade organizations to find maybe a board of directors which is some of the basically the usual suspects mm. right you know mm. the 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 people that have been doing it for 20 25 30 years i do really well i mean to i mean it people are voted on by by the members but there's always a you know a strong awareness of let's have a broad cross section because without that you can't properly represent your members you can't properly you know represent your community um, and i think they're doing you know in in that respect i think they're doing a really really good job about ensuring that people have a voice and it, there's a there's a genuine cross section of of the community being represented
0: yeah definitely i mean i, I we won't carry on with uh, with aim too much but I, I do know that they are trying to modernize all the time and they sure. be more inclusive and yeah, yeah. more accessible so mm. i think that's really really positive but we're going to hit we're going to talk about the exciting topic of covid because uh, uh, you know <laughs> none of us have spoken enough about that for the last two years um but this is the, it was just the sort of sum total of the conversation that you and i had and actually, I'm going to use this as a theme for some okay. other interviews that I'm going to do. So thank you very much for uh, the inspiration. Um, so one of the things that I, I've got a kind of list of different things that we mm. talked about. So sure. we'll just sort of pick sure, them sure. as, well as we go. And and I think for a lot of uh, you know independently owned businesses, and I and I guess I always think of that as. Uh, you know, a company that, you know, lives and sort of dies by its balance sheet Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, getting investment each term because... basically spending
1: other people's money. Right, exactly. (laughs) Exactly (laughs) that.
0: Um, And obviously one of the... There's a couple of sort of big things Mm. um, that any business... Regardless of whether it's in the music industry or not, is things like physical premises, and then we'll talk about stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the office. So, what what's set up? Remind me again. Sorry, you, you did talk about the office earlier on in in, in the introduction. But
1: where, where are you now, and, and what does it look like? So we're in we're in Hernhill, um, on a on a small trading estate, um, just up from the train station. Um, our sort of journey in this respect was we were we were back in 95, 96, We were renting premises in West London because we we'd. Uh, at, taken on a lease from a friend um, when we were running Tongue and Groove Records. When that everything changed and we stopped and we actually established Hospital, we still had a good few years on the lease to see out anyway, and we were renting and and that served us really well. And it was a fantastic that, but that was based around a basement recording studio and a modest office space upstairs. But it was really me and Tony and then. Amazingly, our first member of staff was a, a young woman called Emily Moxon, who's now m d. at brownswood, mm-hmm. um which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but we grew so we grew slowly over those first sort of few years, but we were still renting the space. and it <clears throat> it became quite clear to us. That we really needed to invest in a property rather than, you know, even back then, and this is 20, say 20 years ago, not just 25 years ago, you know, the cost of rent in London to us still seemed crazy. We we, we wanted to be well connected. We were by a tube station. We were by the M4. You know, we had great access to Heathrow, centre of town. But we thought, you know, one part of establishing this business is going to be us making a d- good decision about premises and we should invest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so... In 2004, we managed to buy off our first building, which was in Forest Hill, uh, and we we sort of a peculiar kind of spot that had had been a day centre for Age Concern. So we thought it had the right kind of vibes for uh, <laughs> two old two old gits running a local hospital. Um, uh, and it was like you know it was a it was a really rubbish 80s um, extension on an old Victorian coach house at the back. So it was. It was you know, it was ugly. Again, felt right. You know, it had a bit of parking. It was, you know, it was well connected. wasn't on the tube. And I, and I remember, like, buying it, and people were like going, "Oh, mate, oh, you're not on the tube. Why, why, why aren't you in Shoreditch?" And this is in two thousand yeah, right. and three, two thousand and four. We were like, "Well, we don't want to be in Shoreditch. It's a rip off, let yep. alone what it is now." Yes, horrible. Um, so we just, you know, we invested in that, and it was the best decision we ever made. Brilliant. Because we went in there as five people running this label. Um, Part of the building was derelict because we couldn't afford to do it up, and we didn't need the space. We even had space for a table tennis table, for goodness' sake, you know. But when we left that building um, 14 years later, there were um, 26 of us, and then we moved into. So we, we, you know, we bought the premises in Herne Hill, which is you know a, a more substantial investment, and it's actually more of like a standard industrial unit. But um, it serves our purposes really well. So you know, ground floor is warehouse, um, our studio meeting room eating area and then upstairs was a big open plan office space but we've now built in another meeting room and a a dedicated sort of streaming room for our djs and you know musical content off the back of covid Mm -hmm. um and that's been you know it's it's just when we've been going through all of us have been going through these extremely challenging times um as a company knowing that you have an asset like that Mm -hmm. is just a real level you know to know that okay We've still got the building, you know, we're paying off the mortgage, but, but, um, that's been a, that has been a key factor of the way that the business has grown in these last 20 years is like, rather than renting, mm-hmm. um, because especially now I'd like to try and rent a space for the amount of people that we have would be crazy money. Even, mm-hmm. you know, even zone four, let alone up here in the, you know, um, very fashionable environs of Haggerston and Hackney, everywhere else, mm-hmm. um, the impact of COVID obviously threw everything up in the air because suddenly we're not there. And then,
0: so, so when did you buy that building? When, so we when
1: bought it in summer 2018, <laughs> and we were barely in there for about a
0: year. As so, I was say, year you and a half. Just about got it renovated, um, set up as you wanted. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we were like, we were really sort of getting our teeth into it, and then and then COVID hit, and so of course, I was going to say it was empty. But what was amazing is is that uh, David Lopez, who's our um, Catalan webshop operations manager, he lives down the road. And he and one member of staff um, were going in five days a week to just do all the webshop orders day and oh, day out, wow. get the deliveries. And, you know, God love him. It's like things like that are just such a blessing. Um, we also ensured that it was just the two of them. There was no one else there yeah, yeah, so yeah. that they felt safe and comfortable. And, they, you know, they, they just kept the lights on mm. in that respect. Yeah. Um, to get to where we are now, last summer, 21, um, you know, we did as I say, we built a couple of rooms upstairs um, and we we also, we surveyed the staff. We sort of said, look, what do you want to do? And I, I recognise that for me personally, like, you know, I've spent, you know, I've worked for myself my whole life, but I've always been in creative buildings, office spaces, five days a week, seven days a week, you know, doing mm-hmm. ridiculous hours or whatever. But I've always loved that. I've loved the experience of just working with people that motivate you, that inspire you, that, you know, in a highly creative um, situation, I'd like to think we've managed to take that with us as a company, as we've grown. So to then suddenly work from home for the first time in my life, work at a kitchen table and then, you know, and, and, you know, initially, I mean, I hated it. Mm. I absolutely hated mm. it. Of Like many people, I think, I then started to realize that, of course, there are some benefits. Sure. Um, so we surveyed the staff last summer and said, look, we're looking to, you know, we've done some work, we're, we're going to open up the building again. What would you be looking for? How would you like to come back to work? And it was it was a fairly even split between some of the staff saying, I really want to come back, some of the staff saying, well, I'm quite happy where I am. And so really we've been operating a flexible hours policy ever since, um, which, of course, hopefully is reflective of the wishes of the staff team but nonetheless i'd like to think overseen and sort of steered by the directors mm-hmm. uh that that is still evolving but as a result so we now have i might go in on a monday and there's four people in there and i might go in on a wednesday and there's 18 yeah and that's all right uh i just being totally honest I still find it a bit of a challenge. I, I find it a bit odd going into the office and thinking it's, it's like a ghost town. Yeah, sure. Uh, but naturally, all that matters is is that people get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of it for me, though... And that they feel like they can get their job done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, obviously, now we're in February 22, and, and you know, obviously, we're all hoping for... We're hoping for a, a, a clear 12 months of... I wasn't going to say freedom, like I'm not Mel Gibson, but like, you know, (laughs) an ability for all of us to do our jobs and to socialize and to live our lives. Obviously, we're all hoping for that. Mm -hmm. And I think as a business, like many others, we're hoping for that flexibility and that opportunity. One thing that, that I do feel is that. You know, we're fortunate to have uh, recruited a number of staff in the last...
0: Uh, You read my mind. This is where I was going to go. New starters. Yeah, Yeah, let's talk about those. How how have you handled that?
1: I mean, we... So, we now have a fantastic uh, HR partner called Emily. I was actually... I I had a meeting with Wes at Defector yesterday. He's a good friend. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we we were talking about HR. And, you know, we only... So, we only managed to recruit Emily um, December 2020. And, you know, and he said, he said, yeah, we're just trying to get an HR partner ourselves. Yeah. And he said, so what, have you done? It, always done it yourselves? Like, and I'm like yeah. And he's like, yeah, same as us. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of laugh about it because now I, I can't, honestly, I can't, reflecting now after bringing Emily in, I can't believe that we used to think that we could just handle this ourselves. I, I, honestly, you and everybody else. But it's, you know, and I think it's, I think generally it's because... We would like to think you and I and our friends and colleagues in the industry, we'd like to think we're good people, we're We're sensible, we're supportive, et cetera, et cetera. But let's be honest, we are not HR specialists. I did not get into this business to be an HR specialist or an office manager. Mm. There was plenty of things I didn't really think I'd be doing. Um, that's definitely not one of them. So she has offered us some genuine support and structure, um, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, the recruiting process has been, f- um, well, it's actually just been improved, um, thanks to her. I think. I think the key, though, of course, is that in in bringing new people on board, you're doing it when you're working from home or you're doing flexible hours, and that's the challenge. So the biggest challenge is how do I, uh, how do we, um, actively sort of nurture and support those particularly the young careers but we've you know we've hired more senior people as well but I think particularly the more junior staff who are coming in sometimes for their first job in the industry and they're working in their bedroom and they're on zoom and they're on slack and they're on email uh, and they barely know anyone now that's a real challenge um, which is not helped by flexible hours which is not helped by working from home so Thankfully, you know, of course now that the office is open pretty much and you know restrictions are pretty much gone for now. There's more of an ability to encourage those young staff into the office but not on their own. There's no point in them sitting there on their own without anyone else. So you know, we're I think we're learning how to navigate that and how to encourage, you know, managers with younger staff to be you know, to arrange things collectively. But outside of that, um we now do, like, a, we do a monthly, it's called Lunch and Learn. We just, we um, we had one, I think it was on, actually this Monday, I was actually out of the office. But brought someone in for, like, a lunchtime talk. We buy a load of pizzas. We encourage all the staff to come in. And we had someone come in who was talking about how to budget your own finances, how to plan, you know, how to save, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, which, frankly, is relevant to all of us. mm mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so give them like you know, an hour talk, 30 minutes, questions and chat, food, pizza, hang out, and then you can like get back to work in the afternoon. So we're doing that once a month. We're also trying to now do like a bit more of like a, like a social, like a, look, let's actually see each other. And yes, we can go to the pub or, you know, maybe we could go bowling. Maybe we could just go to the park and let's just actually hang out and remi- remember who we are and... uh of course, we have our events, as you know, and there's lots of shows going on. But then, at the same time, I don't, I don't just expect the staff to go because it's a bit of a busman's holiday, really. Yeah. Um, some of them love going and want guest lists, and some of them it's the last thing I want to do, you know. Gotcha. But so we're, you know, we're learning all the time how to uh, improve that uh, onboarding. Let's call it. And crucially, not just the onboarding process, but that first three to six-month period yeah, it's, for those you know, it's staff a, it's members. It's like a nurturing
0: process. I mean, and it's hard. Yeah.
1: You know, it's hard, and it does um, – that's a work in progress. Yeah. Because first and foremost, we will only find out from talking to them as we go, um, from not just monitoring what they're doing but spending time with them, trying to also encourage whoever's got responsibility for line managing them or, you know mm. – um, And so that's brought a whole new edge to, um, edge is the wrong word, but, you know, a whole new aspect to the staff team, which I appreciate that there's a lot of, you and I know there's lots and lots of, you know, articles and chat about the positive aspects of remote working and how great that is on so many levels, but it's not as simple as that. No. And, uh... I think personally on behalf of the hospital I would like us to try and find a middle ground I'm not up for just remote working and that's that because it's nice and easy you can work in your pants you don't have to commute blah 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 mm-hmm. and you can do everything on Zoom I'm sick and tired of Zoom oh it, and uh it, well it's it's
0: cha- I don't know how you feel but it's changed the makeup of your day and the idea of having a meeting with somebody is very different to how it used to be because people will just find gaps in your calendar and you can end up an entire day, not even having a, you know, a bathroom break.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And also, the thing is that, you know, when you're doing meetings on Zoom, you know, someone's internet breaks, something's buffering. Can you hear me? Can Uh, you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, can you hear me? Exactly. (laughs) But also, I I think the most important thing is that, frankly, we are in danger of simply losing our social skills. I agree. You know, because we lack the body language that you and I have right now, you know... um, and just the simple uh, human aspects of spending time together, even if it's thirty minutes, even if it's an hour. Um, so we we need to um, continue to discuss at my company how how we are going to direct this and how we're going to steer that staff team. Um, of course, one of the ironies now, if I'm honest, is that I already, I also have some young staff going. Oh, you know, I, feel, I like, you know, I need, I need to work from home. You've been with us for like a year, yeah. And actually, um, you know, it was only s- ten minutes ago when you were in this building five days a week. You know, going down the pub on a Friday with half the staff, mm. but all of a sudden now, like, you couldn't possibly come to the office. And, and I'm, and I'm being a bit flippant, but. <laughs> it, it's incredible to me how quickly all of this seems to suddenly turn on its head, and how it, it somehow there's almost this sort of undercurrent as though those of us that you know run companies, own companies, have responsibilities for staff suddenly need to say, Oh, yes, but of course, I, could, you know, I couldn't possibly ask you to come to the office five days a week. I mean, that, that would be outrageous. I mean, it's not, mm. it's not outrageous at all. But we have a duty of care, but we also simply need to be objective about what we believe the company and the team needs. And someone that is maybe taking care of copyrights and royalty accounting has an entirely different working day to the guys in the warehouse or some of the staff who are working on the studio sessions. And, you know, so... It's it's just a massive challenge that we never saw coming. But um, I think so long as we don't fear it and we're w- just as long as we're willing to talk about it, I'm sure we'll be fine. Do you think it's changed forever? Do you think there's yeah. any, any way back? I think it's changed forever. Yeah. And m- I guess my, my only, the only thing I would say is like it, it has changed forever. I'm just not. I'm not part of that sort of happy, clappy crowd of like, oh, and everything's brilliant. Yeah.
0: No, it presents so many challenges. Mm, mm. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Right, okay, so that's staff and office, good. <laughs> um, business, let's get down to business, shall we? Mm. Um, so you've got a, a, a company that spans multiple different disciplines. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got, you know, live, we've got merch, we've got fan club, we've got records, mm. all, all sorts of stuff. Mm. Talk, talk me through how you've seen the this, this sort of... Uh, your business change in terms of its revenue, in terms of its focus, in terms of its viability, but all, all of those mm. sorts of things.
1: The most obvious, you know, initial switch, you know, was when because when when we started, you know, we were we were in a more traditional landscape. You know, we we came from the slightly more old fashioned world of uh, records, vinyl, um, and a big Monday ship out. <laughs> there was like that day of, you know, there, there, there was that culture of, so what's your Monday sh- ship out looking like? You know, oh, we've done 15,000, blah, 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 blah. So, of course, when, you know, when this industry got completely turned upside down by the internet and initially by by Alucard downloading, and then I was saying to someone the other day, I remember having my first ever meeting with a dude from... No, and it, no, it wasn't him, but a bloke from Sweden who wanted to talk to me about something called Spotify, you know. And me and Tony like sat in our local pub going, and what? And it does what? And you, <laughs> sorry, what do you pay? You pay basically nothing. <laughs> um, so that, 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 that is the single most dramatic um, about face, of course, is the internet and the shift from physical products. Let alone when I started. I mean, my goodness. I remember. I remember we had like CDs that you know that had been out for a year that were in HMV for twenty three quid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's insane. Mm-hmm. But that and that many record labels in the nineties, in many respects, sort of built their business off. And it, it's no one's fault. It's just that that was the nature of the industry at that time. Yeah. The markup on that is quite staggering. I can't say that I sold many at 23 because I <laughs> sold them at a tenner. But, you know, um so when you go from that to where we are now, that has fundamentally changed absolutely everything. And, you know, we went through the initial panic of, uh, you know, Pirate Bay uh, and Napster and you know and everyone thought our businesses were going to collapse and then we saw that actually iTunes was selling loads of downloads and loads of mp3s and then we got into you know flack and wav and blah 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 And then and then this thing called streaming came along. and we were like, Oh, wow. Oh god, really? Yeah, that sounds like a disaster <laughs> You know um And you know we're so we're now at a point where you know we do we do physical products and it's 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 a modest part of the music sales mm-hmm. having said that of course for a company with a big catalogue Streaming is brilliant mm-hmm. if you get it right, and if you know how to work it, and if you actually do own um, own your catalogue, and if you have respect for that, and you do it properly with the artists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: I think Spotify is saying sixty percent of music consumed is catalogue, as in over yes, three, three years old.
1: Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's something that is on my mind is that you know we we have a big A and R team. We have an A and R team of eight people, which is essentially sort of overseen by myself and Dan Newton, but, you know, um, very vibrant mix of men and women, different ages, different experiences who drive the artist projects and the things that we do. Realistically, you know, we probably need to think about having a catalogue A&R manager. Mm -hmm. You know, because after 26 years, it's actually, you know there is more and more that can be done with that.
0: so It's a a specialist skill.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And when you look at labels like, you know, whether it's Beggars or Cherry Cherry Red is a great example Mm, of a fantastic catalogue label, which is really their modus operandi. Um, We should be thinking in those terms. Mm -hmm. When we think about, you know, 30 years' time, 35 years' time, because I want that catalogue to be active and vibrant. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so that, you know, that is fundamentally the biggest shift. And I'm proud of how we've managed to, roll with that because you know we were the first drone based label on iTunes we were digitizing our catalog when no one really knew what and I'm reflecting the drone based scene but you know when people didn't have any idea what that meant you know we got to understand what metadata ISRC codes we and it's it's not exciting it's not sexy <laughs> But it's essential. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you if you get it wrong and you ignore it, funny enough you don't get paid. Yeah. Um, you know, in the same way that we invested our, you know, our, our efforts and time and money in publishing. You know, we, we started off with an admin deal, our publishing is completely in-house and the publishing company is a huge part of yeah. the day to day and the bottom line on the you know, on, on on the balance sheet. So it's kind of there've been some seismic shifts. Of course, as you know, for us as a company, live is huge. But then of the last 18 months, which have been pretty horrific, uh, and of course, un- unforeseen by all of us, mm. uh, like many of our friends, we took some big hits. Um, but, you know, we obviously were not alone in that. And there mm. were some people that, that suffered really badly, you know, not just the promoters, of course, but also the artists and the staff and the venues and the licensee, all that kind of thing. Um, so I think, I think one thing that we've learned is just that we, we have to continually reassess, um, the balance sheet and the financial analysis of what we're doing on a, we do it on a quarterly basis. Mm. We all, we have a much longer annual meeting, you know, where you just go through it and you, you literally look at, you know, Craig does some very nice pie charts in colour, thankfully. but
0: <laughs> Otherwise, how would you know what they mean?
1: <laughs> but, you know, to, to kind of go, oh, okay. So, because I thought, you know, maybe I thought merch was doing this, but in fact it's doing that. Right, um, And there are times when you realise that certain departments are smashing it and, you know, you act accordingly. Mm. Other departments are maybe struggling and you need to support them. Mm. Or maybe you need to accept that certain activities just maybe. I don't know, maybe you just can't keep doing them in the way that you used to. Yeah. Uh, but so, so it's really the, it's that combination of music sales in streaming and in any way that we monetize our music and our catalog. It's live tickets, shows, festivals. Um, it's publishing. Um, and then it's the bonuses of the D2C business, uh, you know, the sync. Um, and just trying to keep all of those plates spinning
0: have you had to make where you've seen a drop off in your live activities have you had to make too many adjustments in terms of things like staffing
1: we were very lucky that um so spring of 20, 2020 um when all of us were just reeling and mm. trying to even understand what the implications of of this pandemic were going to be uh we so i think we we initially furloughed four staff we then brought two back within four weeks. Um, and then we had to keep two on furlough for a few months. And then we a- and then we actually managed to repurpose them in different areas of the company. Oh, great. Um, and that was two of the young women who were working on the booking agency. But because the booking agency just, of course, yeah, just had nothing. To... Literally had nothing. Yeah. But we're very fortunate that Chris Marigold, who is um, one of the directors of and really drives the booking agency, um, you know, he... He wasn't panicked by it. He just diligently got his head down. He was he was busy. It's just that he was busy cancelling shows and yeah. postponing shows and yeah, cancelling shows sure. and postponing shows. So we, but we managed to um bring um those two staff back into label activity. And then in fact, in the end in the end we only lost one member of staff, but then we we brought him back six months later. <laughs> right. And we were lucky because, you know, um he was still keen he's still, you know he's a, he, he's a great young guy um, very smart when it comes to events and logistics and he understood because of mm-hmm. course there was nothing there mm-hmm. but then we said Do you know what it looks like it's coming back online come back on a temporary contract um, and he did and then we managed to ma- you know make that secure again and so I'm very relieved that the events department and the agency have just managed to just ride ride the storm go
0: through it so you mentioned you have a a live streaming studio in the office did did you just start doing a lot more online to sort of try and balance that
1: yeah i mean like like many of of our friends uh and colleagues you know in in dance music the the instinctive shift was okay let's do dj sets from home let's do dj sets from bedrooms from studios from warehouses whatever it might be um because we needed, you know, the artists needed to feel connected. Um, we had a huge gap in our schedule where we would be doing shows, and you know, so you know, we were doing a variety of things. You know, we, you know, we did a fundraiser for um, for the NHS, like an all day set of DJ sets. We, you know, we we did a lot of pre recorded stuff. We did live stuff, but it was, you know, generally based around DJs and vocalists and MCs, and just trying to give people content to get their teeth into um As I think I might have said to you before, quite quickly that just became untenable because, mm. um realistically, those those streams which were going on YouTube, of course, for free, which, like many other people in my world, people were saying, "But what do we do? Do, do we do we do we charge? Do we? Yeah. H- how do well, you charge for that kind I mean, of content?" You, you
0: crucially said that you did that first one for charity Mm. and i think i mean beatport did their big reconnect thing that global kind of uh, and that was all for charity and they raised a lot of money Mm. but you're right there was then this moment afterwards where people were like well if this is the new normal yeah we we can't carry on like this can it we've got to figure this out properly
1: absolutely and in in you know realistically as as hospitality as an event as a recognised event, you know we can't really expect our fans to just willingly just look at DJs in their socks in their <laughs> bedrooms, as you know as rootsy and real as that is, it's not particularly exciting. So then yeah. of course the, the logical step is that as we did, you then go and you know you go and hire a venue like Studio Three Three Eight, and you um, you know you get a whole bunch of people down there and a multi-camera um, production. Which costs quite a lot of money for content that you put on online for free. Mm. But there's obviously, you know, there's, there's positive reasons why you're doing it, but it's not it's, it's not going to last. Um, and so the idea of, you know, the idea of building a dedicated space within the building went hand in hand with us starting our subscription service, which is called Hospital Hub. Um, what's, what's that about? Which is really, I mean, I guess it's a bit like a, it's a bit like a members club, um, so for 4 pound a month you get exclusive content you get priority access there are there are limited edition um bits and pieces whether that might be a particular piece of merch or first access to tickets or um uh, a hub members area at uh, our woods festival or we only launched that in september last year um, we um, ridiculously launched it the same weekend as we launched our first ever two-day outdoor festival so i'm very grateful to the staff for not literally losing their minds um like anything it was just running a bit late you know with the coding and with the structure for it but you know it's a bit like i mean in a way i suppose i kind of liken it to sort of patreon and well i suppose being a bit old-fashioned, my my feeling is, is it's a bit like you know getting your members club for the Velvet Rooms or Herbal back in the day when Herbal. are you are you oh a member? My God, yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where you know it's like oh yeah, I'm a member. So you you either get in for free before eleven, or you get you know half pro- and, and actually you get the first shot. Sure. Out. And it's it's the sort of the logic behind that of saying look, you are essentially the core hospital fan base, and so we want to offer you things first we want to offer you things that other people can't get as we i'll be honest we're learning as we go it's only four or five months in yeah um but we're we're keen to nurture and cultivate that members club feel not because we want it to feel exclusive but just because you want you know you want to really uh if you like uh, prioritize and reward those fans that really have probably been there for years and years, mm. who are always first to buy tickets, always, they're the ones down the front, they're the ones that are always pre-ordering the the box sets and the, you know, the ones that have, have really helped us establish what we do mm. um, and and find find unique um, and special content. That, I was say, that, cause that takes can, quite a lot of effort, doesn't it? It does, of course, yeah. it does. And so it's, you know, it's, it's quite a project mm. um, that, I'm confident will evolve and establish itself during, you know, the next six, nine, 12 months of this year. Mm. Um, but I think a, a lot of it maybe is almost like a bit of a mindset, you know, it's like, you know, well, do you, you want to be a hub member? Do you, you know, do you want to be part of that gang, yeah. you know? And um, I can remember, you know, I can remember when I was a teenager and, you know, it's like having your favorite band, you know, and you, you know, you do sign up to them, to their fan club or whatever it is, because you, you, you just love it. Mm. And I think if we can deliver it correctly um, and steer it in the w- in the right way, then I'd like to think that the hub will be a new lane in which we can operate and deliver content that we can also ideally get to a stage where there will be some, some aspects of that that are purely for the members only, but others that can be shared piecemeal or for a certain amount of time or just for a one-off day thing or whatever it might be that can complement the the core activities of the shows, the festivals, the clubs, the music, the merch, um, because the idea is is that you know realistically we developed that because we thought well look if we never get out of this pandemic or if there's another one, God forbid, in ten years' time, we need to be better prepared. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah no, I do well. Absolutely, then it gives you a new. Uh, channel to, yes. to, yeah. to 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 work to. Um, you mentioned artists earlier and, and some of the, the the difficulties that they've had. How have you guys uh, been able to support them through this?
1: I mean, it's been um, it's been a massive learning curve uh, because particularly if you work in dance music, you know, we are proudly an un- underground dance music company. That is, you know, that is our world. When when the live sector just simply shut the doors and closed for months on end we suddenly had artists who were used to being on the road two to three to four times every week and not just in the UK like internationally and so suddenly all of that all of those earnings were just wiped off their own um monthly weekly schedule uh, it's often talked about that that live
0: piece of a, an artist's career is is often where most of their, their revenue comes from for
1: sure yeah. and you know i'm I'm sure that that that's true for the traditional kind of like you know rock bands sure. and bands that are on tour but you know the thing is for a dj mm-hmm. you know you know we have artists you know without being crude but you know we have artists who will get paid 500 quid for an hour and we have artists who get paid five grand for an hour mm-hmm. and if you're doing that two to three to four times a week and it's just gone. Yeah. That's devastating, you know, oh because God, yeah. and some of these artists are quite young, but some of them are in their 30s and 40s with mortgages and families. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had artists, you know, who just picked up day jobs, who started driving Amazon vans. Oh, God. You know, fair play to them. Yeah, like, no, and no, I
0: listen, I admire that. Like um, that. That's where you can
1: just take the ego out of it. And Yeah. Yeah. But that's tough. And, you know, we had, so we had, and we had others who were, of course, struggling. Well, you know, they were, they were struggling with their mental health they were struggling with their financial health and everything that goes with that um, we set up a hardship fund um, oh, right. okay. for uh, actually artists and staff which oh, oh um, okay. we know was it's and it took us a while to piece it together because of um, the company was needing to I to say as a business owner you're thinking yeah how you, are we going to survive you're, you're trying to <laughs> yeah. you know reassess your own finances mm. and um, you know we had we had many uh you know sort of challenging finance meetings i I never thought that we were genuinely at risk, mm. but of course, I was very concerned about well, the staff team and the artist I was concerned about the losses in the life sector, the impact that would have on the staff team, and everything like that. Mm. so we were like you know we were of course trying to manage our own um our own revenue streams but very very conscious of the impact on the artists and so we it took us quite a few months to put it together but you know we were able to establish a hardship fund just to say to artists or staff look if if you are in trouble and if you think you know you need something th- there's only so much that we can offer but we can offer some money off the bat just to keep you sorted in your rent or whatever it might be mm-hmm. for the next sort of 3 or 4 months And you know we'll we'll assess that as we go. I'm proud to say that you know I think there's only one or two artists that actually needed support, but in fact you know it was quite clear that it was there to be used. But you know I respect the fact that a lot of them were saying, I appreciate it, I think I'm all right, thank you, Mm -hmm. Um, and thank goodness. Of course, things sporadically came back, then they stopped, Mm -hmm. and then they came back, and now we're in a much better place where. You know, thankfully, after, what, July, August of last year, um, you know, we find ourselves in this space. I mean, you know, November, December, obviously, was a bit of a wobble. Um, And we were very, very lucky that we had a New Year's Eve show uh, at Drum Sheds for 10,000 people, um, which was amazing. They had 10,000 people in it.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I I heard it was very busy.
1: Yeah, and, and of course, you know, but I'll be honest, I was having meetings on the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, where, of course, pe- people were saying, oh, you know, I think we're going to have to pull it. Mm-hmm. Let's wait. Let, let's just sit tight. Let's sit tight. Let's get to Boxing Day. And then, you know, I think it was the 27th when, like so many people, you know, you keep an eye on news reports. And I just, I rang Craig, our finance director, and said, did, did Javi just say that there's we're all right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there was this, <clears throat> we were very fortunate that we'd actually sold most of the tickets. But, you know, so we just had a sudden burst of, Activity, uh, and for a show like that, you know, you you need about a couple of days to actually prep and actually piece it all together. But yeah. so yeah, we feel very blessed in that respect, and I'm just hoping that now it's you know beginning of February. Don't want to jinx it, but maybe maybe we'll be all right this year. It does it does
0: feel like it. Mm. It does feel like. But we're of having... course,
1: at the same time, you know, like you know, you look at New Zealand, and
0: well. I was speaking to a friend of mine in uh, in Singapore, and he, you know, mm. he mostly works in China, and and you know the the conditions there for for travel are, are very very different to sure. what, what we have.
1: Sure, yeah, and I you know and of course I, I, I'm not quite sure what the situation is in North America, and and uh, I think selfishly, you know, for a company like us, our I mean the UK is our core market, mm-hmm. um, but then our second market is the states, our third market is New Zealand you know um but of course we just we have to be uh, grateful for what we're able to do so we you know we focus on london and the uk we do have shows in europe lined up you know in fact this quarter and next quarter and so we're obviously very hopeful we can now get back to doing some of those shows yeah um and crucially that you know this will be hopefully the first time in 3 years we can actually deliver our summer beach festival um, which this year is going to be in Albania in early June, and um, yeah, I, I, I re- like I really need that to happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> to be honest, after two after two years of cancelling it, um, which was pretty rough, so it'd be, it'd be great if we can uh, get out there.
0: Wonderful. Um, we, we're close on coming up for time, but I do want to just ask you about uh, how marketing has changed for, for releases mm. on, on the label. Uh, you know, you lose so much about, you know, being able to do a, a show to promote a record, mm. whether it's to get the, you know, the, the editors from a DSP down just to kind of introduce something new or, or whatever it might be, you know, a sort of playback type thing. Mm. All of that's kind of changed. How so have you found sort of marketing at the company evolve? And, and you know, what, what do you what do you think... You'll keep going into a, a changed world or, you know, w- what was, you know, what worked, what didn't work?
1: I mean, I guess, you know, I guess the most obvious answer is that <clears throat> marketing just runs through social media. It's not really a good thing, but there it is. Um, that also means that marketing has to be delivered in, you know, bite-sized chunks for people that have as much as six or seven seconds. or oh, if that. To indulge themselves yeah. in what you're doing. Yeah um so you know the i mean the battle has been has been on facebook it's primarily i th- i think i would be right in saying that really everything is sort of focused around instagram and tiktok and you know twitter and facebook mm. i mean there, there there is still you know we we're fortunate that we have quite a broad crowd in terms of its demographic um, drum and bass is blessed with lots of young energy in, that comes in waves, almost like you can just you can set your clock by it. You know, kids get to sort of 16 and they start playing drum and bass, going out to drum and bass, and by the time they're 18, they're going raving, and then by, by the time they're 22, sadly, some of them just go and listen to Coldplay. But <laughs> you know, we're we're fortunate that. Um, we also have a dedicated crowd in the 30s and 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. you know, like people that have been with us since day one, people that have just have always had a deep rooted passion for it. Now, of course, you and I know that. So that means that some of them may be more uh, um, attuned to Facebook feeds, others that, you know, like my daughters, you know. And I'm lucky to get a lot of feedback from them about just their sort of habits Mm. and their consumption habits. What sort of age are they? Uh, 21 and 17. Okay, all right. And, you know, so really for them, I mean, it's only Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Right. Um that's how, all that can
0: How how many dances have you done, Chris?
1: I mean, I, I do try and avoid those. Uh <laughs> I, I, I I get thrown into things from time to time, but let's let's not go there. Uh so yeah, you know, I mean like you know, let's be honest, marketing is really based around those around those platforms. But then how anyone um can be smart and creative and imaginative with the content that you put up there. Um and that's continually evolving, you know. There's a lot of lazy memes that right. just, you know, oh, jeez, I mean, come on. Like, yeah. that's not yours. The fact that you just posted it doesn't make you funny. Mm-hmm. But, um, look, I'll be honest, um, this is why we employ smart young people. I just leave them to it. You know, yeah, sure. I will tell them the things that I don't like or the things that I don't want to see um, or the things that I just think are a bit too corny or a bit too cheesy. Mm. Um I think it's. I think it's as much down to artists to have a voice, have a personality. Now that's in in drum and bass. That's a challenge, right? I think in dance music.
0: I think in a lot of genres, actually, that's that's quite challenging because they're first and foremost uh, a recording artist, a performing artist songwriter but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can do things that are quote unquote engaging Absolutely. on social media Yeah,
1: like, you know, like we had, so we have an act called Kings of the Rollers which is Serum Voltage and Blade Runner three established solo producers alongside Injo who is most often their host and vocalist um, and you know it it's just a bit like stand-up comedy. Now I love that, Right. you know, because they do—they do have personalities. Blade Runner bless him is quite quiet. Love you, Dev, but <laughs> you know, Serum and Voltage could easily just, you know, have their own TV series, as could Injure, you know. And mm. now that—that's always been a, a a kind of a real feature of their um, just their profile, yeah. Um, and that's a real blessing to a record label, of course. Uh, but but you know, I can't. I can't also only sign artists on the basis that they could do ten minute open mic stand up <laughs> you know so it's, and and the thing is is like i I'd like to see I'd like to think that Tony and I have always when it's come to the artists that we've been motivated by that we've been really inspired by that we've wanted to work with we do first of all we do believe they have a voice they have a musical voice right that's essential because that's obviously where it starts and finishes. That's where it lives and breathes. Is what is the music like? But beyond that, you then do sort of say, well, you know, we've always we've always said we need to get to meet people. We get to, we need to get to know people first, because understanding their character and their personality um, is a key part of how we work with them. Now, we've always said that from the old days before social media we would always say that because that was an honest perspective of if I'm going to invest my team and money behind this artist I genuinely want to go and hang out in the pub with them yeah if I don't get on with them or they just I just find them really annoying let's just not work with them in the first place because why bother life's too short but now in the in the you know in the landscape that we're in, that that level of sort of character and personality is is fairly important. Um, and you know, I think, for instance, we have an artist called Logistics, who's one of our most successful artists ever. Um, he's a cornerstone of the company. We just put out his brand new EP. You should listen to it. It's called Love Letters. Thanks very much. Um, now Matt is is actually very unassuming. You know he's not shy, but you know he's just he all he wants to do is make music he's mm-hmm. always been like that, but he has a catalog that speaks for itself, you know man is like seven albums in yeah. you know um but then if if he was a brand new artist coming to me, I'd be probably needing to spend a bit more time with him on his. With the promo team and the marketing team saying, you know, we, we're going to need to sort of come up with some plans and some strategies. And he'd probably go, oh, God, really?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, or it just becomes such a distraction that it starts to negatively impact his output as a, as mm. a musician.
1: But then we also have like a new signing, uh, Winslow. His name is Duncan. Um, he's from St. Louis in Missouri. One of our first North American signings, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh Late twenty-something young black guy from Missouri, um, has never left America. Has only been a couple of places in America. He's uh, he teaches viola at the college orchestra. Right. Wow. And he's a very unassuming, but actually very funny, lovely, cuddly personality. Who has his own YouTube channel where he uploads. You know, they don't get massive views. But you know he'll upload a, a YouTube video where he's like talking about how to mix down you know your, your drum track, or he'll just talk about his love of Caliber, or he'll like he'll just he'll just talk about things that really annoy him in you know when it comes to DJing and and it get in a very different way in a very unassuming way. But he he also has this kind of character which is a real blessing, and his music's very deep, and his music you know it doesn't make big anthems for the stadiums or anything like that, but. I love the music. I love the character. I love him as a person. Um, or you've got Bop from um, St. Petersburg in Russia, who I believe categorically is a genius, who makes ambient music, techno, drum and bass, you name it, and is an, musically one of the most fascinating people I've ever met. And I love working with him. He's not an easy sell, but... Some of the music that he's brought to the catalog is just outstanding. it's so special. Um, so it's our our job is to is to keep understanding who these people are, how we can really sort of tell their story with them. You can't impose it on them. you can't tell them what to do, and if they are a bit quiet. Well, you know, yeah, because if you force it too much, it's not sustainable. And,
0: no. and this this concept of engagement is a, is an ongoing process. It's mm. not just that one. Witty, also, it's not real. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> you <laughs> well, know,
1: and but, we're not we're not doing pop music where yeah. you just you just you know you mug people off with some nonsense. Just like we 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 want to nurture these careers and celebrate these careers and get to understand who these people are, know what their ambitions are. Also, say some look, tell us what you don't want to do. Mm. Like you know, you don't have to be that funny guy on Instagram. You don't have to, you can, but let's, let's tell your story. Let's try and make it real for you. Um, But we are invested in, you said it yourself, storytelling. And it's storytelling for artists. It's storytelling for musicians and for the, for the record label. And I do categorically see that these days, the artists that really resonate are ones that fans can really invest in. In all sorts of different ways and there there isn't one set way of doing it mm. uh, but it does mean that promo marketing is 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 a real art form um and it's something that we continue to learn like everyone else and we you know we're grateful for just smart talented young people in our marketing department to drive that you know with their own ideas willing to make mistakes um in and and also, they—if they invest themselves in the artists—then we will gradually build the kind of results that we're looking for. I think.
0: Fantastic! Thank you so much. Yeah, I really, man. really appreciate all the time that you've given to Pleasure. this. It's—it's uh, it's been absolutely fascinating. And—and uh, and again, thank you for giving me the inspiration for what will be a series <laughs> of a few, few episodes. Uh, so we'll leave you there. Thank you so much. Pleasure. So to my listeners, thank you for listening. As ever, I welcome all feedback, comments and suggestions for future shows. My Twitter and Instagram handle is at Alex Branson or head to the website where you'll find a contact page. Also a shout out to the incredible Audio Assassins who provide the music branding for the show. And if you like the show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.